0: And, as always, before we get into our sermon today, we're going to read a psalm, and I'm going to read you the 87th psalm. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples, This one was born there. Selah. Both the signers and the players on instruments say, All my springs are in you. What a beautiful song! All right, we have a sermon today. Genesis 49, verses 13 through 18. This is entitled, The Blessing Upon Zebulun, Issachar, and Dan. Let me read you those verses. Starting in the 13th verse, it says, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. I've said this for the last couple of sermons. I'll say it again today in case anybody's watching on YouTube that uh, uh, astrology is forbidden. What I'm going to talk about today is the constellations in the sky and how they point to Jesus Christ. This is not astrology as I'll explain in a minute. But I don't want anybody to panic about this. This is something that I believe is fully supported by the Bible. And it's supported by the 12 blessings that uh, Jacob gives over his sons. So uh, really interesting stuff. I, I Just unbelievable what's in the verses you just heard. So if you don't have a clue, stay, stay tuned. Exciting stuff is ahead. We're going to continue on with the three more of the blessings of the sons of Jacob. Each word was selected by the spirit of prophecy, which rested upon him to show us what would come upon the tribes of each son. But each word is also intended to show us the marvel of the work of the coming Redeemer. Zebulun, Issachar, and Dan were real people, and their tribes actually existed in the nation of Israel, but God has used them to show us his son. Again, as over the past two sermons, we will see how each son and the blessing upon him is actually written in the stars above our heads at night, And again, I will remind you, as I just did, that astrology is forbidden in the Bible. We are not to look to the stars as heavenly portents concerning our lives, futures, or destinies. And curiously, just this past week, as I do once a month, I had um, breakfast with one of my old bosses, and um, he has a very bad shoulder, which he needs to have operated on. He needs to have surgery and uh, unfortunately he had to put off his surgery for this year and the reason why is because the only time that the doctor could do it for him mercury is in retrograde and his wife is a follower of Ichankar, which is a religion which looks to the stars for what you should do with your life and he says he's he's not an atheist but he just doesn't believe anything but he said um, you know it's just not worth arguing with her over this because she really believes that it's not the right time for him to uh, have his surgery and so he's letting his body hurt for an extra year because of mercury being in retrograde i gotta tell you what that's crazy but the constellations are there and they were placed in the heavens and they are named in the bible and they were so placed to show us something a lot more wonderful than when they have our surgery on our shoulder it's to show us the story of the redemption of man through the person and the work of jesus christ In the final blessing today, the final of these three today, the blessing of Dan, we will see a most striking and clear picture of Jesus' work. Many times in the Bible, uh, he gives us reasons why he came. And the Bible does elsewhere as well, well, these reasons why Jesus came. He made definite statements out of his own mouth. For example, he said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So that's one of the reasons why Jesus came. In John 9, he tells us that for judgment I have come into this world and that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Okay, so that's another reason why Jesus came. In John chapter 10, he says that I have come that they, meaning you, those who have called on Jesus Christ, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we have some reasons why Jesus came. These and other reasons throughout the Bible are given for us to understand the work of Christ. But there is an all-encompassing reason. John explains the main work of God in Christ. Understanding and remembering what John says will always help us to remember that we have a foe, that we are in a bad, bad spot without Jesus, but that in him we have the victory. So... I'd like you to take the time to remember these words from our text verse today, or at least remember the verse so that you can go to it when somebody asks, why did Jesus come? This is 1 John 3, verse eight. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil is our foe. Without Jesus to undo his work in our lives. We have no hope, but in Jesus and because of Jesus, we have complete assurance of victory, blessing, and eternal life. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. We will see an amazing portion of that work prophesied in our sermon verses today. And so, may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Of three thoughts, the first is the blessing upon Zebulun. Now, last week we did Judah and it was a long blessing. And then all of a sudden, I just, I find these things curious is that we have three blessings, Zebulun, Issachar, and Dan. Zebulun is one verse long. Issachar is two verses long and Dan is three verses long. Not that that has any bearing on anything. I just find that kind of stuff nifty. So today it kind of falls into a neat little pattern. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. Jacob, after blessing Judah, now turns his attention to his 10th born son, Zebulun. Judah was the fourth son of Israel, so this seems way out of place. But Zebulun was born to Leah, not to one of the maidservants. And so the blessing is upon her sons first. However, Zebulun has another brother, Issachar, who was born to Leah before he was. And yet, Jacob first blesses Zebulun before Issachar. We have to ask ourselves, why would he do that? And you will see in the verses ahead. The record of Zebulun's birth is found in Genesis 30, verses 19 and 20, which say, Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Zebulun means glorious dwelling place. And so her words at his birth and Jacob's words now are both making a play on his name. Using the thought of dwelling, Jacob says, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. In this verse, the word sea in your Bible is translated incorrectly. The word is plural. Literally, it says, Zebulun lechof yamim yishkon. Zebulun at the shore of the seas shall dwell. What it implies is that this tribe would fill the land between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. Or at least they would have access to that. I will qualify it by saying that. The allotment of their land after they arrived in Canaan is recorded in Joshua chapter 19, and it does not seem to indicate that they actually have land on either coast at that time. However, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus confirms that they did. Here's what he says in his book of antiquities number five. The tribe of Zebulun's lot included land which lay as far as the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and that which belonged to Carmel and the sea. So there you go. He confirms that it, in fact, at some point in history, did reach from sea to sea. Because the land was granted to them by lot 200 years after the death of Jacob, it shows us that Jacob was speaking under the spirit of prophecy by God who knew in advance that they would possess the land. It would reach all the way across the span of Israel, From sea to sea. Having said this, in the allotment in Joshua, it appears that the tribe of Asher is actually placed between them and the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? In Judges 5, verse 17, it says these words about Asher Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. So, how can it be said that Zebulun reached to the Mediterranean? The answer is found in the blessing of Moses upon Israel prior to his death. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, it says these words, And Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hidden in the sand. In other words, The land of Issachar is jointly used by Zebulun who has been given priority over Issachar in the blessing of Jacob. This is the reason for Jacob's words first to Zebulun before Issachar, even though Issachar was born first. Although this might seem trivial and unneeded to know, it shows that the spirit of prophecy upon Jacob was correct, the order of the blessing has meaning, and that God's word is vindicated as truthful. We have all of the assurance that the difficulties that we think are found in the Bible are simply our difficulties and not the Bible's. Difficulties come from our own unwillingness to study and to check which is in question, not the surety of this beautiful treasure which we call the Holy Bible. Okay, that's why I get into this type of detail. Verse 13 continues, He shall become a haven for ships. The Hebrew here literally says, And he to a shore of ships. His inheritance includes a shore where ships will be unloaded. These words are used to expand on the first words. As Zebulun will dwell by the haven of the sea, he will be a haven for ships that venture onto the sea. It's a poetic repetition to solidify his previous statement and which shows us that the people of Zebulun will be a people predominantly engaged in commerce, something which is then confirmed in the final portion of his blessing, which says this, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Sidon was the firstborn of Canaan. I know you know that because you watched the uh, Genesis chapter 10 Table of Nations sermons, or you were here when I gave those, and you remember that. He was the firstborn son of Canaan, okay? His territory, this guy named Sidon, was at the northerly end of the land of Canaan, and it is known for its prominent cities of Tyre and Sidon, cities that were still known and occupied at Jesus' time. The city of Sidon was at the extreme, extreme northern border between Canaan and Lebanon. It was quite a ways away from Zebulun. But the larger t- uh, territory was known for the city. And this is just exactly the same as if you ever go to is- uh, Japan and you get on a train and you go to Tokyo City, you can pass through it in about two seconds. It's a teeny little city that you almost don't even know that's there. But Tokyo Prefecture is known for this small little city. It's the same thing as Sarasota. We have a little city called Sarasota, and we've got a county called Sarasota. The little one represents the whole, okay? So that's what's going on here. It's important to understand this if you're a scholar of the Bible and you want to know why people are trying to diminish the Bible, why these things happen the way they do, okay? We see the use of the name of the city for the larger territory in the Gospel of Luke, which it says in chapter four, but I tell you truly many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three and a half, three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So the Bible's confirming what it says. The name Sidon is given for a reason and we need to know what that reason is. It means catching fish or plenty of fish. Because the name is given, the Bible confirms that Zebulun will have a portion of coastal territory. People attempt all the time to tear apart apart the Bible as wrong because of their own lack of understanding, but Jacob's prophecy was fulfilled exactly as it was spoken to his son Zebulun. In the witness of the stars, Zebulun is portrayed in the constellation Cancer, which is the crab. This is because of Jacob's words to him that he would be a haven for ships. The companion star clusters of Cancer, there's a couple clusters that are companions to Cancer, are Ursa Minor, which is the lesser bear, Ursa Major, the greater bear, and Argo, the ship. The Greek name of Cancer is Carcinos, and it means holding or encircling, which is the exact meaning of the word used by Jacob in his blessing for haven. The Hebrew word chof means surrounding or enclosing, just as a crab would do. The Latin cancer means the same as well. As each constellation so far has pointed to Christ, this one does too. Zebulun, or the glorious dwelling place, is that place where Christ dwells and where we are promised some wonderful day to reside in his presence forever. We are brought into the presence of God because of his work. The concept of the crab which holds or encircles is a picture of the eternal security of the redeemed. The great bear, Ursa, is referred to in Job chapter 38. It speaks of it and its cubs. Here's what it said. Can you bring out Maserot in its season or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? So even the Bible is speaking of these constellations. As the Bible notes several times, a bear will guard its cubs vehemently, just as Christ, who is our defender. The ship star cluster known as Argo means a company of travelers, and it's speaking of us. We're the redeemed of the Lord. That's why we're called pilgrims on this earth, is because we're on a ship traveling somewhere else. The reasoning reason for mentioning Sidon in this particular verse is because it specifically speaks of the work of Jesus Christ. Sidon means catching fish or plenty of fish. It's speaking of the very work of Jesus in the Gospels that of him being a fisher of men, along with his apostles and his disciples. The entire blessing of Jacob upon Zebulun is looking forward to the work of Christ. God has placed the stars in the heavens to tell us the story of our redemption. And he has again used a son of Israel to direct our attention to this wonderful work. Of Zebulun, Moses said, prophesying of future events, rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out. And Issachar, rejoice also in your tents. Rejoice with a resounding, magnificent shout. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of treasures hidden in the sand, which God did bless. Our second thought today is the blessing upon Issachar, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 begins with these words, Issachar is a strong donkey. Jacob now pronounces Issachar's blessing. He is Jacob's ninth son, but the fifth born to Leah. The record of his birth is found in Genesis 30, verses 17 and 18, which say, And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. His name means he is wages. He's placed into a subordinate position behind Zebulun, but his blessing is a good one nonetheless. First, he's uh, called a strong donkey. In Hebrew, the word is chamor garam, a donkey of bone. The thought of bone is one being very strong and stout. In other words, issachar will be like a strong, stout animal. This type of donkey is a servant animal. It's used like an ox for plowing and for other such heavy work. Verse 14 goes on, lying down between two burdens. Now, there appears to be a multi-level play on the words in this thought. The first is that Issachar would be placed between two borders, the region of Syria-Phoenician on one side and Samaria on the other, which is exactly where they're located. But the word translated here as burdens is used only twice in the Bible. The other time it is translated as sheepfolds in Judges chapter 5. So I want to read that to you now. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, and Issachar was, uh, so was Barak sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds? That word there, to hear the pipings for the flocks. The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Okay, the idea here is that Issachar will be like a servant animal who finds rest in a comfortable spot. This is seen as we continue on to the next verse, verse 15. He saw that rest was good. The word rest here is menucha. It is the same word used to describe the still waters of the 23rd Psalm, the waters of rest. It is also the word that speaks of the Lord's resting place in the Psalms and also elsewhere in the Bible, such as in Isaiah chapter 11, which say these words, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious." So far, we've seen a strong servant animal enjoying his rest between two sheepfolds. If you know the symbolism, you can already imagine the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Verse 15 continues, and that the land was pleasant. Jacob prophesied that the dwelling of Issachar would be a delightful place between two areas which would provide him safety and rest. Verse 15 goes on with, he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden. Because of his delightful surroundings and his well-placed position between two areas where there's safety and rest, he will be willing to bear a very heavy burden upon his shoulder in order to obtain what he desires. Servitude is the key to enjoying the land of delight. Verse 15 continues, and he became a band of slaves. This is not a really good translation. The words here are vehi le mas obed, and became a forced servant. The word forced is defined as a burden causing one to faint. In this, there's certainly a play on the name of Issachar. As his name means he is wages, the thought is that in his future, he will be a man of hire. In other words, his labor will be his pay. He will be a servant. Anyone seen Jesus yet? In the witness of the stars, Issachar is represented by Taurus, the bull. The strong donkey is, like the bull, used for farming as a servant animal. Jesus Christ is reflected particularly in the gospel of Mark as a servant. In Jacob's blessing, he says that Issachar would rest between two sheepfolds. This is seen in Christ, who after accomplishing his work as the servant, he brought together the two sheepfolds, which he personally speaks of in John chapter 10. Here's what he says. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I must also bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In the completion of this work, we saw Isaiah's words, which said that the place of his rest would be glorious, perfectly fulfilling that portion of Jacob's blessing. In this place of rest, the land will truly be pleasant. It will be a return to the perfection that was lost when we were cast out of Eden, the garden of delight. But in order to obtain this honor, Christ would have to bow his shoulder to a very heavy burden, which is the cross. Thus, he exactly fulfills that portion of Jacob's blessing. In this act, Paul sums up the bondservant ministry of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. In exact fulfillment of Jacob's blessing upon Issachar, we see the work of Christ as it is testified to in the witness of the stars placed in the heavens by God. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own, yes, they know me. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep willingly. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and my voice they will hear. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. So behold, my words are true, thus you shall not fear. Christ was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient, even to death on the cross, to fulfill the glorious plan, to reconcile us to God, his work, all sufficient. Our third thought today, the blessing upon Dan, verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 begins with, Dan shall judge his people. Jacob now pronounces Dan's blessing. He's the fifth son born to Jacob and the first of four born to his concubines. He is the first born to Bilhah, the concubine of Rachel. The work of Christ is so exactingly referred to in these three verses that we cannot overlook a single word. Here's the account of his birth from Genesis chapter 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you, the fruit of the womb? So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife. And Jacob went into her. Then Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. His name means judge. And so both at his birth and now at Jacob's final words to him upon his maid. In Hebrew, it says, Dan Yadin, judge will judge. Dan shall be the judge of his people. And by saying this, this is really important, it would ensure that Dan and the other sons of the maidservants would be considered in equal status with the other tribes. They would have the right to their own independent rule within their tribe. If Jacob did not pronounce this now, then the other tribes may have subordinated them after his death. And so Dan remained an independent tribe just as the other sons of the maidservants did as well. The term judge here means to plead the cause of or to help as much as it means one who judges in the judicial sense. In this, we see a prophecy pointing to Jesus, the true judge of his people. In 1 John chapter 2, we see Jesus is called our advocate, something which the term judge implies. I want to read that to you. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. However, he is also our judge in the sense that we think of more often, one who determines a judgment or a sentence concerning a particular matter. This is seen many times in the Bible, such as this verse from Acts chapter 10. It says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, to him all the prophets witness through his name, whoever believes in him, will receive remission of sins. So he's both our advocate in the judge sense and he is our judge in the judicial sense. Verse 16 continues. As one of the tribes of Israel, in addition to self-rule within the tribe, Dan also produced a judge for all of Israel. Anybody here know who that judge was from the tribe of Dan? Samson, very good. Samson was from the tribe of Dan and like Jacob's blessing upon Dan Samson himself is also going to picture Christ verse 17 Dan shall be a serpent by the way in these words Dan is likened to a serpent the word for serpent here is the word Nachash it is the same word used for the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 which speaks of the devil let me read this to you now the serpent Nachash was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made Because Dan is likened to this serpent, and because the tribe of Dan is not listed among the tribes of Israel in Revelation chapter 7, it has been speculated that the Antichrist may be a descendant of Dan. I'm not going to say that's all certain, like some people will, but it is a speculation. However, even if this is so, this prophecy is still looking forward to the greater work of Jesus Christ. The same word is used in the book of Numbers, Chapter 21, during the wilderness wanderings, you're going to hear it twice, the word serpent. It's the same word as the devil in Genesis 3.1, and I'm going to make a point about it. Here's this uh, section of verses, though. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Adam, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents, Nahash, among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent there you go. And set it on a pole and set it in. It shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, Nahash, and put it on a pole. And it was so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus referred to this exact account in John chapter three. He was speaking with Nicodemus. Yes. It's when Jesus spoke with Nick at night and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The serpent, by the way, is figuratively speaking of Jesus hanging on the cross on the highway outside of Jerusalem. There at Golgotha, he, like the bronze serpent, was placed on a pole for all of the world to look at for healing. Verse 17 continues, a viper by the path. The word viper here is the Hebrew word shephiphon. It is an adder a horned serpent. Dan is likened to this, but again, the root is pointing to Christ. This word, shephophon, comes from a root word, shuf, which means to bruise. The word shuf is used in Genesis chapter three after the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. There in Genesis 3.15 comes the first explicit hint of the coming Redeemer and his work in the entire Bible. Here's what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise, that word there, Shuf his heel. The word bruise there is that same word that Jacob is now using. Verse 17 continues, that bites the horse's heels. The adder or the horned serpent is the color of sand. And so it's not so easily to recognize. Because of this, he can easily bite at a horse or anything else that fails to see it. This snake's bite is both poisonous and it's fatal. It is a perfect description of the devil who deceives those around him. Paul speaks exactly of such deceit in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says these words. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So you see, it's representing this horned adder, which fits into its surroundings, and you don't even recognize it. The devil disguises himself, and he deceives us. He melts into the world around us, and before we realize it, he bites at the heel. In this bite, we sin, and in our sin, we die. This is how the Bible portrays the work of this vile serpent. But we're given hope. We're given help, and we're given a cure for such things, just as the people of Israel were. In the wilderness wanderings, as we saw, the people were bitten by snakes. The word for bite there, which is used three times in that passage, is the same word, nashach, that Jacob uses in this portion of this verse right here. The cure for the bite of the serpent was the bronze snake, which pictured Christ. The cure for all false teachings and being deceived by the devil is likewise Christ. Jacob is continually tying the two together, word after word after word, is pointing back to the fall of man and forward to the work of Jesus Christ, the one who will be bruised in the heel and yet who so marvelously crushes the serpent's head. Verse 17 continues, so that its rider shall fall backward. The viper which bites the heels will cause its rider to fall backward, implying that he is thrown from his horse. The symbolism goes right to the fall of man. Adam was to be the ruler of his domain, but the serpent deceived him and he fell. However, the opposite is true for the one who is coming and who would practice righteousness and justice. He will remain in control of his mount and he will never be thrown. Jeremiah speaks of this looking forward to any such king who would come. Here's what Jeremiah said. Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord. Execute judgment and righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit upon the throne of David. And then Revelation nineteen shows us the fulfillment of the reversal of the curse brought about by the viper. that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of God Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Faithful and true and in righteousness he judges. The words to Dan in this ancient blessing are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The same themes keep coming up again and again and again, permeating the pages of the Bible and show us, showing us the glorious work of Jesus Christ. Thus far, the blessing upon Dan has looked time and time again back to the fall and forward to the one who would undo the work of the devil. And as if in a crescendo of joy and anticipation, Jacob now cries out as if he cannot wait a moment longer for him to come. From his beating heart, where the home of eternal hope is found. He cries these wonderful words. Verse 18, our last verse of the day. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. In Hebrew, he says, Keviti Jehovah. In the first use of the word Yeshua in the Old Testament, the spirit of prophecy, which rested upon Jacob, directs him to the greatest pun of all. The word Yeshua means salvation but it is also the name given to the Lord. Though we call him Jesus, his name is Yeshua. In essence, and certainly not understanding his own words in their fullness, Jacob cries out for the Redeemer, who will undo all wrongs. He is the promised seed of the woman. He is the fulfillment of every type and picture that one could imagine. He is the anticipation of every story and every hidden treasure of Scripture. He is Jesus. And so Jacob cries out, Kiviti Yehovah. I have waited for your Jesus, O Lord. In the witness of the stars, Dan is represented by Scorpio, the scorpion. According to the work of Dr. Hales, on the celestial sphere, the scorpion is actually represented as biting the heel of the horse of the archer Sagittarius. The three clusters around Scorpio are serpens, which is the serpent, struggling with the man, Ophiuchus, which is the man grasping the serpent, and Hercules, the mighty man who is kneeling on one knee, humbled in the conflict, but holding high the tokens of victory and with his foot on the head of the dragon. It is a picture of the final fulfillment of the promise made all the way back at the fall of man. The serpent would strike the Redeemer's heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. It is all in the witness of the stars, and it is all about Jesus Christ. And so now, as I do each week, I'd like to ask for just another moment to explain to you how you too can be saved and redeemed by the one whom all of the Bible speaks of and who is even testified to in the stars at night. Please let me tell you how you too can meet Jesus. It's so simple. You're sitting here, you're watching this video on YouTube or you're in the church here and you you just need to have a relationship with Jesus and you don't know how to do it. You've sinned. You're separated from God and you know it. You don't know what to do, but Jesus came and he undid what the devil did in us. The wages of sin is death and that's why we die. And it's also why we are separated from God is because we're spiritually dead. From the moment we're born, we're spiritually separated from God. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of of these promises of God. He came and lived the perfect life that we could never live. He was not born of a man. He was born of a woman and of God. So he didn't inherit Adam's sin. And so he is qualified to replace Adam, but he had to do it. And that's what the gospel accounts are for, is to show us that he fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. And then he gave his life up willingly for us. He went to the cross so that we could live. If we call on Jesus, it says that we will be saved. Our sin is put on the cross and it's nailed to it and it's taken away. And his righteousness is granted to us and it can never be taken away. We are Declared justified in the presence of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. then all you have to do in order to be saved is to accept it by faith. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe that he came out of the grave for me and that I will live with God for all of eternity because of the work of Jesus Christ. If you can do that in your own heart, if you can come to that conclusion, you are saved and you will never lose that. That's the wonderful gift of God in Jesus Christ. Our closing verse today comes from Psalm 96. It says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Wonderful words, a little bit of judgment there, kind of making a play on the name of Dan. Next week is Genesis 49 verses 19 through 21. This is the blessing upon Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. That'll be our 126th Genesis sermon, and we'll finish up the uh, maidservant's children at that time. And as I do each week before I uh, read you our poem, which is very short today, I'd like to remind you that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. And he has a good plan and a purpose for you. So call on him. Call on him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. All right? Our poem today is called A Dwelling Place wages paid, and judgment rendered. Jacob blessed his sons before he died, and three of them were Zebulun, Issachar, and Dan. By the leading of the Spirit of God, the word, these words he cried, all showing us clues to the redemption of man. These are the ancient words upon these three he did pronounce, the ancient oracles which through him the Spirit did announce. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. In these six verses are treasures of life and love. Woven into them are pictures of our Lord Jesus. Spoken through Jacob, Came words from the heavens above, words that show us of Christ's work for us. How can there be so much love? How can it be so that God would send a son for us to die? But he did, and through the Bible we can know the marvelous story revealed every how and why. Thank you for this glorious, wondrous word, O God. Thank you for these stupendous things you have done for us. May we forever praise you while in this life we trod. May our lips exalt you through our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to preach on these wonderful verses which are found in uh, uh, the book of Genesis, and which show us marvelous, just marvelous things of Jesus Christ. Week after week, story after story, it just keeps showing us him and how we can miss him. I just don't understand it, how people can sit in churches and do the things that they do in the world today and uh, make proclamations that are against you when you just show us all of this love. Just be obedient to my son, bow the knee to him and follow his precepts and it will all be okay with you. And yet we continuously turn from you and yet you continually reach out to us and attempt to turn us, our hearts back to you. What a marvelous God you are to have such patience to be so merciful and to be so kind you're just glorious and you were perfect lord i would pray for each person here as they uh, go about their respective uh, works in the week ahead that you would take care of them keep them safe bring them back safely again next week and uh, lord i would ask that you would bless our communion service as well and help us to just reflect your glory as we take the elements which remind us of jesus our lord we'll be sure to give you praise and glory in all that we do and we'll do so in his name amen Okay, we get the instruction for the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes these words to us. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said these words, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he would have blessed it in the same way. He would have said these words. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam borei Pri hagafen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm. Paul and Elaine. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tabo. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we take a moment and just praise you, give you the praise that you're due. How wonderful you are. How wonderful it is to hear the story of redemption time and time and time again. Concealed in the Bible and then revealed. All in Jesus Christ. And it's his body and his blood that we're participating in right now. As believers in him, we have the assurance of eternal life. So I thank you for that. And Lord, I would make a special prayer today that if you see fit to have more people attend this congregation, if that will be uh, what is proper to you that it would happen it's very hard to get people to attend a small church like this and to uh, come to a little area with so many bars and so much uh, uh, you know that which is contrary to what we normally think a place where a church would be but uh, we do love you and we would hope for continued blessing upon this ministry and uh, uh, we'll be here every week until you call us home or until uh, whatever uh, determines our end but As long as we're here, we will continue to praise you, be it just a few or be it many. We love you, we praise you, we give you the glory that you're due, and we do so all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.